Um, if, if you are newer as well, uh, my name is Drew Simpson. This is Aaron Weiser. We're both uh, pastors here. I want you to uh, feel at home here and feel welcome. Uh, we would love to know that you are here if you're newer. The best way to do that is after the service. There's an information table uh, over here. You go over there. You uh, fill out a welcome card. Give that in. And you get a gift from a ministry in India that we support. It has a wonderful story that you can hear more about uh, if you do that. Um, and know like we all do, that every week we get to meet with the God of the universe. He That's made right. everything, and yet he's here right now today yeah. with us, and he wants to meet us uh, intimately and powerfully. What a miracle, and, right? Yeah. So as we are here together, he's right here in our presence. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to hear from the Word this morning, one of my favorite books, but I'll let him tell you about that. Would you guys welcome up the one, the only, the rare Dr. Edson Knapp. The rare. The rare. There's only one of you, so you must You know, when you give compliments and you don't actually want to give a compliment, you say things like rare and unique. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How can I make him feel complimented without exactly. compliment? No, I'm so thankful exactly. to be here. Let me pray for you and let you dive in. God, I thank you for Edson and the gift of teaching that you have invested in him by your spirit for our benefit. We pray again this morning as we do every week, God, that we would maximize that benefit by being... Uh, diligent hearers of your word and diligent doers of your word. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Perfect. Thank you. So, um, thank you, Scott, for a stand that I can actually use. Out of the entire audience, I want you to know I appreciate you the most. Um, so I also have to tell my wife thank you because in typical fashion in my life, I forget often the most essential important things and she remembers for me. And so my little box, which we'll explain later, came courtesy of her remembering to bring it after I went off and forgot it. Um, so... Thanks to my wife, who's um, my support so often. Um, one other thing. I <laughs> oh, there we go. Yay. Um, so I sat down, and my children, who wish to remain anonymous, uh, noticed this and said, why does it say the five vinaigrettes? And another one said, the five salad dressings. And another one said, Oh, we're talking about short prophets this Sunday. So, so the five vignettes, the five short stories, and they're minor but not unimportant, and they're not short. So just a little touch on that slide. Um, we're going to talk about Hosea. Uh, Hosea is, uh, first of all, let me say, a book and a story that has deeper meaning than I can share this morning. Um, it has moments of emotion that I wish I could communicate better uh, to you all. Um, and it is a book that has a lot of adult topics um, that we will go through uh, in some in some depth, but we also have to be careful because we're all together on Sunday morning. Um, but it is an intensely emotional book. Uh, 
Um, and it's not only um, emotions, human emotions, it is also a look into the emotions that God has toward His people. Um, and they are very intense emotions. We'll, we'll go through some of it, um, and at first glance, you will say to yourself, whew, I did not think God felt like that. I'm a little bit shocked by that verse. Um, and yet, we're gonna, that's what we're going to do is go through this. Um, I also need to mention, usually when I uh, teach, when I share, I use a version of the Bible where the verses are translated very close to the Greek or the Hebrew language. Um, this morning, I'm going to use a different translation called the message. And if you happen to decide you want to read the book of Hosea, which actually, if I could get one thing accomplished this morning, you would all read the book of Hosea. Um, I recommend reading it in the message because it comes with a, a grittiness that really communicates the story in a, in a fresh and important way. So that's why I'll be using that version this morning. So that kind of sets the stage. Um, let's just do a brief summary of the story, and then we're going to kind of go through the setting of the story, the characters of the story, um, because I think it's important to look at the story from different angles to, to be able to really understand it. Um, and the story begins with a message from God to Hosea the prophet. Um, this happened about 800 years before Christ. Um, just so you're aware, there's a northern kingdom, Israel, and there's a southern kingdom, Judah, and Hosea is prophesying to the northern kingdom. And if you happen to glance at the email that I sent out, what's about to happen is the Assyrian army is about to march down and wipe out Israel, the northern kingdom. And God assigns Hosea the job of letting everybody know this in a land where they don't really think anything bad is actually going to happen to them. So let's begin. Made for love. How, how can we get to that, to that message? Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Attention, all Israelites. God's message. God indicts the whole population. No one is faithful. No one loves. No one knows the first thing about God. All this cussing and lying and killing, theft and loose sex, sheer anarchy, one murder after another. And because of all of this, the very land itself weeps and everything in it is grief-stricken, animals in the field and birds on the wing, even the fish in the sea are listless and lifeless. It's interesting when you read that, you start to hear a description of our world. I think of cities like Chicago or New York where the murder rate is daily news. I think about Alaska where the whales are beaching themselves because they're, we're not quite sure, starving to death, affected by pollution. It really sounds like a description of our world, our modern world. Um, but this is a description also of Israel at this time. Um, it's, it's, it's a dark world. There's um, a religion in which uh, women are sex trafficked as a part of the temple worship. 
And so families are broken apart because they're selling their daughters to the temple. And it's a place where instead of worshiping Yahweh, the king of kings, they're worshiping Baal, the god of fertility. And there's no goodness or right in the land. There's no one standing up for justice anymore. There's just this mess, me for myself, you for yourself, and whoever wins, good luck to them. And that's the attitude in which Hosea is bringing um, this story. Now, normally we would say a prophet's job is to come in and preach and tell the word of God. And Hosea certainly has that part, but God's way of teaching through Hosea was something much more intensely personal. Um, and one of the reasons why the story means so much to us is, is what happens to Hosea. Um, so we're going to go through um, the characters in order to understand this story, and we're going to start with the wife. Uh, her name was Gomer. Um, and so in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, we, we read, The first time God spoke to Hosea, he said, Find a whore and marry her. Make this whore the mother of your children. And here's why the whole country has become a whorehouse, unfaithful to me. Unfaithful to me, God. And so Hosea did it. He picked Gomer, daughter of Diablame. She got pregnant and gave him a son. Now, there's a lot of disturbing things that immediately strike you. What is God doing asking his prophet to marry a harlot? What is, that doesn't sound right. Why would God ask that to happen? So that's immediately the first reaction you have when you, when you hear this scripture. And then you start to think about who was this woman? Um, what was her life like? And in looking at the, the culture, the setting, everything that was going on, it's very likely she is, has been sold into slavery to be a sex trafficked woman. And her job is to work at the temple and take care of all the men that come into the temple to worship Baal. And so God says to Hosea, marry this woman. So here he is, a standing. We're almost there. <laughs> An upstanding um, person in his community. And he is asked to marry this person that's completely unacceptable to his family, completely unacceptable to his um, culture to what he believes and his answer is he did it that's all we get the scripture is very brief on the emotions behind the story we have to build them in a little bit I was talking to my daughter about this story um, it's something that actually she and I worked through a while back um, 10 years ago and she said, when she reads this story, she relates to Gomer. And I said, well, but she's not really the star of the story. She's kind of a part of it. Um, but it, the scripture doesn't dwell on her especially. And she said, no, you know, I went through a time when I was struggling with feeling worthy to be loved. Just like Gomer. She's sure that Gomer felt like she didn't deserve the love that Hosea brought to the relationship. 
And in fact, a lot of her rebellion was related to that belief that she wasn't worthy of, of that love. Um, and so when we think about Gomer, we think about somebody who's probably unlovable, very difficult to love someone with her background. Think of her cynicism, her belief that no one could be good. Um, someone that's unlovely and someone that doesn't know what love is, doesn't know how to be loved, how to receive love. These are all descriptions of, of Gomer. Well, if that is not powerful and difficult enough emotion, we now start to see how God is feeling and his anger toward Israel because Gomer has three children. In the first child, God says, you will name this child Jezreel. And so it's a name, it's a location, it's a, part, it's a valley in Israel, and, and we might not necessarily attach a lot of emotion to that until we find out it happens to be a place where many people were murdered, there were a lot of betrayals. It was kind of known as a dangerous section. You don't go there. Kings murdered their subjects to gain their land in Jezreel. There's a lot of things, a lot of violence and bloodshed that happened there. The name also happens to mean God sows. And in this case, what he's saying is, I am going to have my revenge on all that violence that has occurred there. And that's why you're going to name your child Jezreel. But it gets worse. Hosea has a daughter, and God says, you're going to name her no mercy. Because I am not going to have mercy on Israel any longer. I am done with them. I'm tired of their sin and what they've done. And then Gomer has a third child. We don't know if the last two children were Hosea's or if they were children that she had because of her practice at the temple. And the last son is named Nobody. Nobody. Why? Because God says, you are nobody to me. I don't recognize you anymore. I don't care about you. You are nobody to me. Kind of heavy emotion. If you can imagine a child growing up and finding out their name is no mercy. Their name is nobody. Their name is the Lord is going to get his revenge. Why would God do that to those children? So then we have to look at Hosea because we have to start to try to understand the prophet that is going through this relationship and dealing with this struggle. So, I want to carry this emotion. I want to be honest about this scripture. Um, in Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 and 4, there's this intense anger about the sin in the land. And Hosea says to his children, haul your mother into court, accuse her. She is no longer my wife. I am no longer her husband. I'll have nothing to do with her children, born one and all in a whorehouse. And you can see the anger that God has with his precious people that he loved that have just thrown everything away and now the land is just falling apart in anarchy. And then we go through several chapters. We don't have time to go through them all. We go to chapter 11 and there's this passage where God describes his love for Israel. It's a very intense passage. He talks about rescuing them from Egypt 
He uses words like caring for a baby, um, holding a baby in his arms, reaching down and feeding a child as they sit at a table. Um, and in order to understand, understand the scripture, you have to know that the word Ephraim refers to the northern nation of Israel. Hosea 11:7. But how, how can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I turn you loose, Israel? How can I leave you to be ruined, to be devastated? I can't even bear to think such thoughts. My insides churn in protest. And so I'm not going to act my anger. I'm not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? Because I'm God. I'm not a human. I am the Holy One. I'm here in your very midst. And so we start to see this anger that God has with sin, but this desperate desire to save his people. Um, and in fact, we see prophesied through Hosea, for example, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when God brings all of his people together and is with them united. We see a discussion about the coming of the promised one. And in fact, the prophecy about Jesus going to Egypt and, uh, and escaping from Herod comes from Hosea. And so we see this forward-looking, this desire of God to have a real relationship with his people. Hosea chapter 4, verse 3. And because of all of this, oh, hang on here, I got mixed up. <laughs> I want to go on to the setting rather than reread the previous verse. Um, the setting. Um, what does it mean for us? How does the setting, this place of anarchy, this place of difficulty, how can we take a meaning, a moment from that and understand what, what God is trying to say to us? Now, I was thinking about that and thinking about our world and the things that we struggle with, um, thinking about the drug addiction, thinking about the patients that come into the emergency room whose lives are messed up, whose minds are um, destroyed by drugs, thinking about how could God particular problem, that thing, how could God fix that? And then I realized here we're reading a story where God is using a life because he has a purpose for that life. And that story even has prophecy about the end times. And the life of Gomer is there for a purpose. God is using her life. The lives of those children have a purpose. And I realize what it means is that it doesn't matter how messed up our life is, what we've gotten ourselves into. It doesn't matter if we're a slave, if we've been sold into slavery, God has a purpose and we're not beyond his reach. He can use us and touch us and our life can have meaning. And then we go to this wonderful meaning about the children's names. And so I just wanna take you through this. As we go through Hosea later on in, in the book, we learn something new about the names of these children. Um, and this is when you start to sense some of the, some of the joy and the happiness in the book. Um, and it's so important. So the name Jezreel, 
Uh, remember, it mean God, means God sows. And in the beginning of the book, he's going to sow revenge for the violence that has occurred. But later, his heart turns, and he says, I will sow the results of love. That's what I'm going to sow. And so the name Jezreel now means that love will grow. And then he says, I will have mercy on the child, no mercy. And I will be a father to the child, nobody. And we start to see that tenderness of God's heart. I think about the orphan. So often in scripture we hear that God is a father to the orphans. I think about my son, Eoab, who's an orphan. I remember the first moment I saw him I think about the emotions that I had at that moment. A child I had never met, he came out, he knew a couple of words in English, they had taught him to try and say, I love you. I don't think he had any idea what it meant. So he rushed up, we gave him a hug, and he said, I love you, with a very Ethiopian accent. He also knew, go to toilet, <laughs> kind of an important word, important sentence. And he had been watching some Disney movies, and he knew how to say, go fast, faster, go fast from the Cars movie. That was about it. That's all the, all the English he knew. Um, he told us later when we got on the airplane to fly back uh, that he thought that we owned the airplane. It was our personal jet. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I remember that moment when we were walking down and I saw his face because we had seen his picture and I recognized him. He was seven years old saw him coming out of that door, an orphan who now had parents. There's so much emotion. It was as if I had loved him my whole life. And yet, that emotion that I had is nothing compared to the emotion that God carries towards each one of us. He is desperate for a relationship with each of us. Amen. He pursues that relationship. I want to look at the wife and what do we learn from Gomer and from her, from her um, story here. Um, the first thing that we can take away is that we're made for love. God made us to love us. And he is in pursuit of that relationship. You see, he's desperate for it despite what we think. No matter what we think. We may think we don't believe in God. We may think we're angry with God because of the things that we've gone through in our life. We may think there's no hope. God is just something people talk about. Doesn't really affect my life. Nothing good is ever going to happen to me. Despite what we think we deserve, despite what we believe, God is pursuing us. And he's pursuing us passionately. He's pursuing us recklessly. In other words, he is going to do anything he can, tear everything out of the way to get to us. He's pursuing us intimately. He's, he wants to be with us and known by us and know us deeply. 
He wants us to have lived a life where we can look back and say, I can trust God because here and here and here and here in my life, he was there for me. And you know, it's interesting, I was thinking about that. In my life, I can say that now. I've lived long enough with the Lord that I can look back and I can see all these events where he came through for me. When I was a little kid, I remember this vividly in my brain. We were driving in this little, little VW, a uh, little bug, and we were driving to the coast to stay at a hotel for vacation for missionaries. And um, we, were we decided to take the shortcut through a kind of a wilderness game park area. And they said, by the way, there's nothing there, so make sure you check your gas. And it's better if you're not there after dark because nobody drives there after dark. So there'll be no help if you break down. So we're driving along. We're, my parents are singing hymns. I'm stuck in the, you know, the little, the little tiny uh, place where they stuck suitcases is in the back of the car, in the back of the bug. That's where I was sitting. And we're driving along, we're having a great time, and the lights went out and we were in the dark when we're not supposed to be there in the dark. We were always late wherever we went. And so everybody hops out and they're trying to figure out what's wrong and checking the battery cable and I'm sleepy in the back and I finally climb out and nothing's happening and I'm kind of bored and they're trying to use their flashlight to figure out what's going on with the car. And so I decided I'd get back in the car and sleep while they're trying to figure out the problem. Well, just before I got back into the car, my dad says, well, let's pray first. So we all prayed, and then I got back in the car. And when I got back in the car, the lights came on. And they're like, woohoo! And I heard the sound. Everybody was excited, so I hopped out to see what was happening. The lights went off. <laughs> and then somebody... I think probably dad figured out what was going on. There was something underneath that back seat that was the problem. So we went in and we lifted up the back seat and sure enough there was a wire that was disconnected that somehow fed the headlights. And you know, it's a little tiny thing and most people would say, yeah, it's just you know, coincidence, whatever. But after you've seen a thousand coincidences, you start to realize God's there. You can look back at your life and the other thing I have to say is that he is going to pursue you endlessly. He will not stop. He will not take a break. He will not say, I give up on you because of what you have done. He will pursue you endlessly. The cynic might say, how can this be? How can this story have happened? How can God be that kind of a God? How can that really happen? And after all I've done, how is it possible that God would really care about me like that? Um, so I just want to share with you a little bit of, of uh, what happens when you come to know God. Um, so in the New Testament, there's a term called um, in Christ. And so I just want to look at Romans uh, chapter 8. We're going to read the two verses together, and then we're going to talk about what that phrase means in Christ. Romans 8.1, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny 
at the hands of sin and death. So that phrase, life in Christ, was used in the New Testament as a way of describing a Christian. In fact, it's probably the beginning of the term Christian. And so it sounds like a nice theological phrase, life in Christ or in Christ. What does that really mean? So I just wanted to give you an illustration um, so we could sort of understand it. So the first thing is I'm going to pretend that my life is a sheet of paper. Like everything in my life, I've written down a sheet of paper. My life is a sheet of paper. And of course, I chose a Leonardo da Vinci sheet of paper because I like his drawings and his stuff he's done. You can pick your own paper if you like. Um, but, you know, things have happened in my life that I'm not really proud of. Um, so I've got some scars and some tears. I've been through some stuff that I'm probably not proud of. So part of me is kind of crinkled up and I hide that part from people. And um, so when you kind of look at it, it's sort of hard to see Leonardo da Vinci's drawings. Um, and most people would say, yeah, that looks a lot like a piece of trash. You probably ought to toss that in the trash. Um, and then we take our life and we put our life after we accept the Lord, we put our life in Christ. And so now when somebody looks at us, especially God, when God looks at us, what does he see? He sees we're in Christ. And Christ happens to be perfect, so he sees us as perfect. So no matter what our life looks like to us, what we believe about ourselves, what we think about ourselves, the things we don't like about ourselves, our weight, our hair, our appearance, our age, our immaturity, our maturity, whatever it is, we're in Christ. And that's how God sees us. It's one of the reasons why we don't have to fear the anger of God towards us once we accept him. Because he can't be angry with himself. We're in Christ. I'd like to ask the worship team up. There's a scene, you can go to that next slide. Um, in this story that I want to share with you. Um, it's a very emotional scene for me. Um, and it's a scene in which I feel like I'm one of the players. Um, Ren and I went to Zanzibar. This is a picture taken in Zanzibar. Um, they have a slave market that uh, they have there as a memory of the slave trade that went through Zanzibar. Um, and this is a statue that is a reminder of what being a slave is. And so Ren and I were there and we were looking at it. And I actually, I remember even at the time that I was there thinking a little bit about this story. But I just want to set the scene for you. God says to Hosea, after he's been estranged from his wife, she left, the kids are gone, everything shambles, she's been out there doing whatever it is that she's been doing. God says to him, I want you to go 
and I want you to buy her back. She's a slave. You can't just have her because she's your wife. She's owned by someone else, but I want you to buy her back. And so on a Saturday morning, it's raining in my mind. His beard's wet, his hair's wet. He goes down to the local slave market. There's 20 or 30 slaves that are for sale. There's this sort of stage that has posts. And at the top of each post, there's a chain that's attached. And the slaves are attached to that chain with their chains. And there aren't really many people there. The people care. <laughs> They're just there to buy a slave. They're not really people to them. Well, he's looking. And as they bring them up and chain them up, he's looking for one in particular. And he suddenly recognizes her. For a moment, he didn't because she's so thin. Her hair is scrawny and she doesn't even look like the person that he remembers. And he says to the person that's auctioning her off, I'll pay the full price of a slave for her. I've got it here with me. In the scripture it says he paid 15 shekels of silver and a bunch of barley. And I imagine the slave seller, whatever you call slave seller, saying, that's a ridiculous price. You don't need to pay anywhere near that much for her. She's not worth anything. I'll take half of that. Take a quarter of that. She could barely walk. And Hosea says, no, no, I'm paying full price for her because she's worth everything to me. The full price of a slave. Of course, when Jesus paid the price for me, it cost the full price of a slave, which was his death. And so Hosea goes up, he takes off her chains. She's so light, he just picks her up. And he carries her home. And he says, you're not going to do that anymore. You're going to be mine now. We're going to be a family. And I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to love on you. And you're going to learn what it means to be loved. I'm going to buy new garments for you. You're going to be clean. You will know what it means to be precious to me. You see, when God makes us, he made us for him to be loved by him. Each one of us. And even though we've messed up, our lives are in shambles, he doesn't care. He's already paid the price for you to be his bride. He wants you, he loves you. He calls each one of us deeper into a relationship with Him, deeper into intimacy with Him, deeper into His grace. He's a good God. He loves you. We're going to take a moment, some time to worship, my favorite part of the service. Um, 
we're going to have an opportunity to worship God. And so we have different ways of doing that here. Um, you can take communion. We have areas for communion. Um, you can return a gift back to God to say thank you for his blessings in your life and offering. You may have heard this story this morning and thought to yourself, I need to pray with somebody. I need to have a moment to, to have someone pray with me. And we'll have a prayer team right over here. You may not know God. They would love to share with you who God is. And then we're going to sing together. And it's my favorite part about the service is the chance to just worship God together as a church, to tell him thank you for the blessings in our life and to give him glory. Amen. I love our church. I know all of us have had the experience of skipping stones. Most of us out on the spit. It's one of the first things I did when I came to Homer. And you know when you throw that stone and it hits just perfectly and it glides and bounces and bounces and bounces and you're so happy about it. And then you find another perfect stone and you throw it and it goes and you're like, oh. So I know many of you all are filled with the grace of God because I know this church. And so when we go out tomorrow into this community, God wants us to share that grace the same way he shared it with us. He wants us to pursue the unloved intimately, passionately, endlessly. And if we fail in that, Monday morning something hug comes up and we're kind of a shrug instead of a hug, we're a little bit too busy for that interruption. He feels like we feel when that rock goes poop. Because he gave us that grace. He wants us to share it. And that's my challenge to you this morning. That amazing grace. It needs to go outside of these walls and be shared. We don't end till 1230. We'd love your help cleaning up. Blessings, church. Amen and amen. <laughs>